This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Okay, I would like to formally nominate the word yes for perhaps the greatest word in the English language. It is a word that has so much incredible potential. Think about it and think about how it can often be used. For example, it's a great word to respond to when you're asked a question like, thank you so much for your interview. We would like to offer you the position and we would like to increase the compensation that we originally mentioned to you. <laughs> yes! All right? Or how about the question that's asked a hundred different ways except explicitly in our culture, which is this question, would you be my friend? Yes. How about this one? Would you like a second piece of pie? <laughs> oh, yes. And yes to a third. It's an important word. It's an important word for the follower of Jesus as well. Part of learning to follow Jesus, part of learning to be a Christian is learning, and it must be learned, we'll get into this in depth, how to say yes to God. For he asks us questions. Jesus says, will you come and follow me? Yes. Will you give up everything you have for me? Yes. Do you love me? Yes. We begin to study and learn in the scriptures about who this God is who asks these questions. We actually learn that when we say yes to him, we're only responding to his first yes. That any God in his character is a God of the first yes. God says yes a thousand different beautiful and riveting ways throughout the spectrum of Holy Scriptures. When God says, let there be light, God says yes. When God says, let us make man in our own image, male and female, we create them. God says, yes. When God says, I love this world that has so said no to me, I will send them the fullness of my yes, my son himself, Jesus Christ. Indeed, the feast of Christmas that we're preparing for the feast of the incarnation of God is the feast of yes. It's God saying yes to a world that said no. It's God saying yes, I will overcome your no with my love, with my presence, with my very person and the fullness of my son, Jesus. It is the feast of the yes. And in Advent, we take time to prepare ourselves to learn how to say yes to the God who has first said yes to us. I want to talk today out of the Bible, out of Luke chapter 1, about how we learn to say yes. If you have a Bible with you, turn to Luke 1. If you don't, didn't bring a Bible with you, no problem. We have res Bibles. They're underneath 
the chairs there. Grab your Res Bible. Page 856. If you don't know the Bible very well yet, just grab that Bible. Page 856. Here in what's called the Magnificat, a word that isn't immediately accessible to us. I'll say something about the word Magnificat in a moment. But here in what's called the Magnificat, we have a prophetic utterance from Mary. She is prophesying. It says that she says, but the church has embraced it as an early hymn. And it's very good research. It says this was an early hymn of the church, that what Mary spoke out, the church embraced as a hymn. And we even sang it so beautifully just a few minutes ago. It's great to have it set into song because it comes from the song of the soul of Mary. This is a song of saying yes to God. Just a quick word about the Magnificat. This is one of the great pieces in the Scripture and of literature. So when you come to this as a preacher, actually part of you wants to say, oh, no, I got the Magnificat? You feel your own limitations so poignantly, and you feel the limitations of necessary time constraints. So we'll just do one thing with the Magnificat, which is exploring the yes. In the first several verses, verses 46 to 50, we learn the first yes. In verses 51 to 55, we learn our yes. Look with me here. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. We learn the first yes, which is actually not Mary's yes, although she's introducing this passage of Scripture. The first yes is not Mary's, but the Lord's. The first yes is always the yes of God. We have he the Lord, followed by a verb, 10 to 11, depending on how you count, 10 to 11 different times in this compact Scripture passage. He looks. He blesses. His mercy. He shows strength. He scatters. He brings. He exalts. He fills. He helps. He speaks. It's the yes of God. He says yes to a very broken humanity. God designed us in the original creation for us to be men and women who were made to say yes to him. And one way to understand the fall of humanity is that in God's generous, vulnerable, open yes to us, we in our confusion from the devil embraced a no. Sometimes that no is like, no. Sometimes I know it's like, no, no. Sometimes I know it's like, ah, no. That's one way to describe fallen humanity is that we have taken on no as our main definer as who we are. In this teaching this morning, simply what I hope is if you've never said yes to God, you've never said yes to Jesus who has said yes to you as your Lord and Savior, that you would consider saying yes this morning, preparing yourself for Christmas by saying yes to God for the first time. We have several of you who are new believers in Jesus. You've said yes, and I want you just to learn what it means to say yes the rest of your life, that God has a promise to you that is everlasting. He has an ever-living promise to you. 
And he will empower you to say yes for the rest of your life till you see him face to face. And then for those who have said yes, you're committed to the yes, but the yes is waning. The yes is stretched. The yes is tired. I just pray you'll be filled with the joy of a robust, renewed yes. God looks, verse 48, on the humble estate of his servant, Mary, and on the humble estate of his servants. I taught on this within the last several months. God is the God who sees. That's one of the names of God given us in the Old Testament scriptures. God looks. God looks on us so full of so many no's. Finding ways to say a different no in a different way every day. God looks on our no and he says, yes, I don't accept your no. I will not let your no be the last word. I see you. I see him. I see her whom I have made. God sees. God sees the humble. We'll read in the second part of the Magnificat. He sees the hungry. And in his seeing, he gives us a sureness of who he is. He gives us Jesus, the yes of God. Turn to page 964 in your Res Bible or to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 964, 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Can't get there right now. Just listen. Verses 18 to 20. The Apostle Paul is teaching the church in Corinth that surely as God is faithful, our word to you in our preaching has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him, in Jesus, it is always yes. No no side to Jesus. No shadow side to Jesus. No hidden side to God. It's always yes. For all the promises, verse 20 of God, find their yes in Jesus. That is why it is through him that we utter our yes. Our amen, a way that we say yes to God for his glory. I was a student pastor for many years before I had a chance to pastor here at Resurrection, and I worked primarily in Chicago. And I will never forget, over 20 years ago, dingy classroom, afternoon on a Thursday. Everyone was kind of tired. University of Illinois at Chicago. We had student-led worship from students that were just learning how to, to lead us into the presence of the Lord. But the yes of God fell on us that afternoon. There was just a presence, a tangibility to the presence of the Lord. We all had a sense of it. And there was a young man who was a self-defined atheist, but he was with our fellows. He was getting to know us as a community. We were enjoying him immensely. And I remember seeing out of the corner of my eye this young man who had made no decision, no yes to God. And in the midst of this worship, I saw him and I saw him down like this. And afterwards, I came over to him and I said, I, I noticed you. I don't want to make you self-conscious, but what was happening for you? He said, I, I, I can't accept Jesus as you've taught him yet. But Stuart, there was a presence in that room that no matter what you believe, you had to bow to it. It was a starting yes from him. I don't know if he's ever received the Lord. But he sensed God's yes, and he responded. 
Now, there was one who heard the yes of God, and her response has become so important for us as followers of Jesus, for us who receive Jesus into our very persons where God dwells within us now, that her yes, Mary's yes, was a responsive yes to God, a responsive yes to the angel Gabriel who said to her, the Son of God will come within you. The, the Spirit of God will overshadow you. You will actually carry the Son of God within your very body, within your very womb. That this Mary, whose song we're studying, her soul magnifies the Lord. She proclaims from now on, verse 48, all generations will call me blessed. Elizabeth has already fulfilled that prophetic word where she sees Mary, her cousin sees Mary and says, blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Here we see that Mary carries a unique blessing for us as followers of Jesus. Yes, we may be aware that there's some that maybe go too far with Mary, but if we study her biblically, we may also be aware that sometimes we may not go far enough with Mary. That what we have in Mary is a kind of forerunner, one who has gone ahead, one who was confronted, one who had a moment where she was hearing the yes of God and had a moment to say, will I say yes? Will I say yes after so many have said no to God? Will I say yes as so many who have also gone before me have also said yes to God? Will I say yes as Abraham said yes, as Sarah ultimately said yes, as Jacob said yes, and Isaac said yes, as Hannah said yes, and Ruth said yes? Will I say yes as those who have gone before me have said yes? But will I say yes in a unique way, wherein I will carry the various Son of God in my womb, as Catherine, my wife, has taught so beautifully Jesus in utero grew up under the heartbeat of Mary. A human being. How can we not honor her? How can we not love to read of her? How can we not as Paul said, imitate me. How can we not imitate Mary? Say, oh, I want to be like Mary. Verse 38 of chapter 1. Behold, I'm a servant, I'm a slave, would be another way to put it, of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her yes is the culmination of many yeses, but her yes has a beautiful uniqueness. It's, maybe here's an analogy that might help. When I ran track in high school, one of the really fun runs was the mile relay where four different runners ran a quarter apiece. Different coaches have different strategies. My coach had the strategy that your strongest, fastest runner you put in the third quarter, the third lap. So the job of the first two runners was to get out, position in a good way, be in, a, be in a competitive position and hand off to the third runner who is to get into the lead and actually create space between the other pack and the other runners to hand off to the fourth who is simply to hold that lead. And it's the way in which Mary is out ahead. God chose her to speak to her in a very specific way about the incarnation of his son, Jesus. And she hands off to us. It's not like a motorcycle was introduced into the third lap, right? 
she's a human being with our nature. But her yes, how we long to imitate her yes. Her yes is a worship yes. When she says, my soul magnifies the Lord, she isn't saying magnify in the current English use, which would be to say, take something smaller and make it greater. That would be confusing. I'm taking God who's smaller and making him greater. And says so she's using magnify in an older English employment, that is in the translation. And the original way of this would be to proclaim, which is what our translation we, we just sang was, or perhaps even better, to worship. My soul says yes to God in worship. That as you enter into an imitation of Mary, one of the key ways you're imitating, if you're like, how do I imitate Mary? I don't understand. Is you worship the Lord. You worship him in song, in the spectrum of music that is fitting for the worship of the living God. You worship him in life. You worship him by saying yes to the Lord. When that prompting comes to share something of the goodness of God, when that prompting comes to say no to an appetite that's not aligned with the way of God and to say yes to a hunger for God. You, you worship the Lord with your life and your soul worships the Lord. That's a Marian yes. That's one way we can imitate her. The church said, the scriptures teach she is the mother of Jesus. And the church said just a few centuries after that, yes. And we call her the mother of God. For in Jesus there is the fullness of God. But we learn. We learn our yes from her. We learn our yes first and foremost because God has spoken the first yes to all of us in Jesus. Let's look at this yes that we learn. Verses 51 to 55. We have to learn our yes because of our sin nature, because of, because of the way in which we're surrounded by the reality of sin in a world that's confused in a world that's actually been trained by its own ways to say no to God, and we have our own nature that says no to God, we need a learning, we need a revelation, we need a training in the way of saying yes to God. And here she sings that God has mercy for those who fear him from generation to generation. I have said yes to God, but generations will come after Mary, generations have come before Mary, who will be called to say yes to God. How do we say yes? First, we say yes with a humility. We say a humble yes. Verse 51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He's brought down the mighty, and he's exalted those of humble estate, which is to say every single human being, whether they may be born into might or born into great helps or born into wealth or born into destitution, can come to the humble estate where they can be exalted by the God. Everyone can come to saying yes to God through the process of knowing great humility. C.S. Lewis, Christian thinker, said, humility is not thinking less of ourselves, but more of others. I love that because it, it translates to an immediate moment for me in a conversation with somebody else. When I'm in a conversation or a dialogue with somebody else, am I thinking a lot of them. Am I actually seeing them for my God who I'm called to live in and with and under and to imitate, according to the Bible, sees them? Do I see them? 
Do I see what they might need? Do I, do I see where they may be downcast? Do I see where they may need just a simple word of, of, of strength or affirmation? To do that is to enter into the humble way of living, to see others as God sees others. If you'll begin to see as God sees, if you'll pray, God, help me to see as others see, humility will come in the wake of that. You needn't engineer it, but you need receive it. Life is so humbling. If in the last four weeks you haven't had an occasion for significant humility, I think you're out of touch <laughs> with your own soul and with what's happening around you in this crazy cataclysmic world. You're out of touch. Amen. When I'm aware of where my thoughts can go and what my impulses can lead to, and the small ways in which I portray a selfishness and a no to others and to God regularly, and then if I will be willing to actually rightly expose myself to the proper news feeds where I actually read what's actually happening in this world and in my own country, I'm humbled. I'm broken. So our humility comes as we see as God says. I'll never forget a conversation I had last year with a Latina friend dedicated follower of Jesus. I said, tell me what it's like um, being the daughter of immigrants, really having identity as an immigrant yourself, but under the conditions that you've been an immigrant, it's been very difficult for her. Tell me what it's like. And she said, oh, I don't know, Stuart. I guess the best way to put it honestly is I feel unseen. I just don't feel seen. I thought, oh, wow. So true for so many in the place of immigration and refugee status. And so true for so many overall. Had I seen her until she said that? I don't know if I had. As we'll see and we'll allow the realities of life in our own souls to humble us, we then learn the hungry. The hungry, yes. Verse 53, for he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Patrick Lencioni, I'm borrowing this. Patrick Lencioni is an organizational thinker, and he's written the one thing you want to look for in team members and in leaders are those who are humble, hungry, and, and his third piece is smart. I would borrow from Lencioni to say our yes, we learn to be humble, hungry, and sure. And in our hunger, we actually have two levels to that hunger biblically. And it's important, I think, to address both scripturally. First, in this hungry, we read of him filling the hungry with good things. Let us not make that metaphor too quickly. Let us say that one thing Mary is prophesying is the God who sees is the God who sees those who hunger. No, they hunger because their stomachs are empty. They hunger because the societies within which they are trying to live their lives and raise their families and find work, those societies are hungry societies. They're broken infrastructures. There is no educational system. There, there is no significant health system of any kind. That there are those millions upon millions, scores upon scores that we, we almost don't even want to begin to engage because the no of that is so overwhelming. And yet we have a God who sees that reality. He sees the reality of profound, literal hunger, hunger for, hunger for just the basic necessities of life. And as followers of Jesus, hearing the words of Mary, he says, he will fill those hungry with good things. We connect with them. 
We see them. We refuse to let the realities of the gift we have of living in a remarkable infrastructure, a remarkable society in so many ways. No, not perfect. But have you traveled? Do you know how much better this is? So we don't let this insulate us from that. And we say, they're hungry. I can't take in the whole news feed. I can't. But I, I can take in something into the news feed. So I've been reading for the last few months. There's been a series of articles on a, a family. Europeans. The parents are Europeans. They were converted by ISIS into radical jihadi Islam. They took their family from a European country to northern Syria. The parents were killed in a bombing attack. It was a brutal death. Some of the children were there. They witnessed it. They had seven children. And the seven children were utterly and completely abandoned. They were utterly orphaned in northern Syria until a grandfather, one of their grandfathers, and a beautiful echo of the yes of our Father God, went and found them and brought them back to his country. And I've just tried to love those seven children with the distance that I have with them, right? I just, I try to say they're so poor. I just want to, I want to engage it. I don't want to disengage it. Now, as we do so, and we let ourselves go to those places of humility and hunger, we also do have a spiritual hunger. There is an element of hunger that is also spiritual in the Scriptures. We hunger and we thirst we hunger and we thirst for God. We hunger and we thirst for His presence, His person. I think resurrection, one of the things I love about you is you're a hungry church. You just hunger for the things of God. You, you hunger for the reality of God. You hunger for the scriptures from the Lord. You hunger for His manifest presence. You, you hunger to share Him faithfully. You hunger for those whose stomachs are empty. I know that about you. This is critical to learning to say yes to God. Because when you're humbled and you're hungry, you can't find your own yes. You can't feed yourself with your own yes. And you begin to hate your no. You begin to see the no for what it is. You say, I, I need God's yes. I need the yes of Jesus. I need the yes he spoke. I'm humbled and I'm hungry for God and for all that God brings I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, who has spoken his yes through Jesus Christ and ministered it to us by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? That's the yes. That's the yes that we say in response to his glorious yes. Final two verses are not just tacked on. They matter. They're important. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever. Okay, we have Mary singing this. In some way, Mary beautifully embodies the humble, the hungry, and a sureness. And as a daughter of Israel, of course, she would be called Miriam. That would be her Hebrew name. I think it's beautiful. Miriam embodies this reality. Miriam is an Israelite. And she's saying, God has been faithful to the people he chose. God chose Israel. God chose Abraham. The writer of Hebrews says, these people who came before, who followed in the way of Abraham and others, 
They believed the promises, but they couldn't fully receive them because the fullness of time had not yet come. But in Mary, it, the fullness of time has come in the incarnation of God through Jesus Christ. Indeed, what we hear is that God, we can know that God is sure to fulfill his promises, for we know the reality of Israel, that God has been faithful to Israel. And we embrace that reality. We thank God for his faithfulness to Israel. And for many of us, majority who are not Jewish, but Gentile, we receive the root of Israel in our faith, the root of our Jewishness. Well, that wasn't quite clear. Most of us aren't Jewish. I mean, I'm, I'm 4% Ashkenazi according to my little DNA test, but <laughs> we see the root of our, of, of our Jewish heritage, to be more precise. Because God has proven himself in his promises through Israel. He's been sure. And he spoke to Abraham and to his offspring forever, which includes us grafted in as Gentiles. We can be sure of God's yes. He's never rescinded his yes. His yes has never faltered. That's how we learn to say yes. We're humble. We're hungry. We're sure. For in Jesus, it's not yes and no, but yes. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.